podcast is brought to you by Byron Belitzos, the author of a new book entitled Your Evolving Soul, The Cosmic Spirituality of the Urantia Revelation. Please listen to podcast number 634 to learn more about Your Evolving Soul. In Greg's interview with Byron, they discuss what the Urantia Books Foundation is based upon, as well as the fact that the Urantia Book provides a revolutionary new depiction of the human soul, the afterlife, and the nature of deity that is commensurate with the needs of our time. Byron helps the reader to unravel this deep and thought-provoking text in his new book, Your Evolving Soul. Please listen to Greg's fascinating interview with the author and expert on the Urantia book, Byron Belitzos, by listening to podcast number 634. Thank you for listening. Welcome back to Inside Personal Growth. This is Greg Voice and the host of Inside Personal Growth. And Rodney, I want to thank all of my listeners who come from around the world to listen to this podcast show. Uh, they've been faithfully coming back for 11 years and over 638 podcasts to date. Um, so we have had a very long run and we've got a very good audience and I thank them all. Uh, today, joining me from Santa Barbara is Rodin, Rodney Weininger, and she has written a book called Heartwork, The Path of Self-Compassion and Nine Practices for Opening the Heart. Well, good day to you. How is it in Santa Barbara? Oh, it's it's nice. It's a little bit overcast, but actually we appreciate that in Santa Barbara because often it is too dry. Yeah. So nice, misty morning in Santa Barbara, close to the Museum of Natural History. Well, very good. Well, we'll be giving all the listeners a link in our blog entry to your web page, um, but I want to let them know a little bit about you. Uh, Rodney Weininger is an MD, PhD, a clinical psychologist, psychotherapist, and meditation teacher. Um, she first encountered Buddhism in Sri Lanka as a young medical student and now leads meditation retreats both in the U.S., and internationally. And this is a new Shambhala um, book. You can get it at Amazon and all the major booksellers. Um, so Rajani, um, you know, let's just start with your story. Uh, your story starts with this encounter with this sage old monk. Uh, I remember it was raining when you walked into the um, into this monastery. Uh, there was a monk sitting on the floor and you mentioned that his eyes just pierced through you in Sri Lanka. This goes back to the 1980s. Can you tell our listeners about this, really what I would think was an epiphany experience for you um, that changed your life? Yes. You know, it was actually in 1980 and I had just come through a really hard time in Germany. I, um, had a difficult relationship with my family. I hated medical school because I was not a good scientist and I didn't like it. And I had had two car accidents in which I actually ended up in a hospital for two months. And so I was really quite cut up and I thought of taking a leave of absence with my boyfriend Hans who has already been in Sri Lanka. So we went to Sri Lanka with the pretense to our families of studying acupuncture, which would kind of relate to medicine. I took a semester off. And there was this one day 
And I didn't know anything about Buddhism, I like to say. I hadn't really read much at all. So one day I was walking on a very rainy monsoon day down um, the street in, Mol- in Colombo, which is the capital of Sri Lanka, and I saw this little sign, International Buddhist Center Road. And so I walked down there, and I saw this building with the sign, International Buddhist Center. And I rang the bell, and this young monk opened and said, what do you want? And I was really dumbfounded. And I said, I don't know. And he said, ooh, that is very good. Follow me. So I followed him up and I followed him down, which turned out to be a very big monastery, into the belly, the basement of the monastery. And there were all these very ancient monks sitting. And he took me to the most ancient monk who honestly looked like a little mummy. And so I sat down. He told me where to sit down. And then this monk looked at me and he looked through me and it felt like I was in a different energy. You know, it's like something had changed. I was in this kind of timeless, um, timeless, different quality energy. And I just had the sense, wow, this guy knows everything about me. Uh, And so... And then he looked at me and he said, what do you want? And I said again, I don't know. I want to learn. And he said, that is very good. Come back tomorrow and every day at 9.15. And so I did come every day at 9.15 for about 15, 20 minutes. And I don't know what he said. It was more the quality of being. And uh, I just felt that's what I want, <laughs> that's what I really want. And it wasn't so much content or specific philosophy, it was more like a sense maybe, if I look back, I might say of peace mm-hmm. or, yeah. So yeah. It, A sense of being, you know, you were in an altered state of consciousness as a result of uh, surrounding yourself with not only with that monk, but probably many of the other monks in the monastery, right? Right. Yeah. Well, you know, you you had an interesting childhood with your father abandoning you and your mother very early in life. Um, And I'm curious, uh, Rajani, how did this event impact the work that you're doing today with people? Well, um, I think having had been abandoned by my father, you know, the whole post-war German experience. My family was very traumatized by the war. And then my family, actually my mother's very Catholic family, didn't even know that I was her child. You know, she had pretended I was adopted. So put me on very unsure footing. Like I didn't feel I was able to uh, really rest in my, my family of origin. And um, and I didn't really know who I was very well. And so I think um, the meditation experience gave me a sense of um, a different ground, you know, different home, you might say. I had, no matter what my family was doing or not doing, I had an 
I had also a different base to my life. And I have to say that in my early 20s, after the car accident, I started both. I started psychotherapy, very intensive psychotherapy, and I started meditating. And I probably have done, gosh, 20, 25 years of therapy, analysis, this, that in my life, from rebirthing to analysis. And and I always meditated. And I find very much kind of uh, following the footsteps of my mentor, Jack Cornfield, um, that, that so many of us in the West need both. We need to understand our family of origin problems and um, need to, Western psychology is it's a more oriented, but it's also very content oriented. While, um, while Eastern uh, practice is uh, more process oriented and learning a new state um, of being. And so um, I am um, just closing the door because there, there was a noise. So um, I find that uh, Western psychology and the content orientation and Eastern practice with its uh, focus on process and cultivating a new sense of being is really complementing each other. And that has informed my way of being a psychotherapist and a meditation teacher now. You know, I think my my psychotherapy, even though psychodynamically trained, has been very much informed by Buddhist um, psychology and practice. And when I teach meditation, I'm very much aware that I want to make whatever I do accessible and relevant to 21st century suffering in modernity. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, you you tell an interesting story. And obviously through this combination of Buddhism that you've brought, your deep meditation and mindfulness practices, your work with Jack Canfield and many others, uh, you bring a Jack unique... Corn, Jack Cornfield. Yeah, Cornfield. I'm sorry. I said Canfield. Cornfield. Yeah. You, you, mm -hmm. you bring a, a different essence to your practice, your clinical practice. Um, and, you know, you, you tell a little story in the book um, that you were rejected by a group of women in this book reading group where they were reading the Buddhist um, books and practices and so, across, uh, so on. And you came across this little book called The Compassionate Life by Dalai Lama. And at your website, you have a picture of yourself uh, with the Dalai Lama that changed your life. How did Dalai Lama's not only encounter, but this Compassionate Life book uh, really help you change your life toward these compassionate practices? Well, um, I think what came up for me when I met the women from the book group in the um, in the dining hall, realizing that I was now having uh, four weeks together with them, morning to night, meditating mm. together, mm -hmm. um, it gave me a sense of dread. And I think it brought up a lot of feelings that uh, reminded me of, of my family. Uh, mm. You know, being, being kind of rejected, 
being criticized for who I was, um, uh, being, um, you know, um, outside. Right. And so, um, and all of that came up again for me. And actually, just meditating so many hours a day, I remember being again this infant in, in an orphanage. My mother hit me in an orphanage for two years, the first two years of my life. And so I felt very, very, very raw. And also, Jack Cornfield, my teacher, wasn't at the retreat. He was not one of the teachers, and I felt very alone. And so when I found this book by the Dalai Lama on compassion, I um, I really realized that I had to find a way to meet myself with compassion, my own sense of vulnerability. Basically, um, uh, you know, hold myself with my own sense of gentleness and tenderness and um, basically meet my own vulnerability with love, you might say. And then I realized as I was doing that, I was able to be more generous and forgiving towards the others because somehow meditating so much, I realized as humans, in our human condition, we are so vulnerable and so afflicted, all of us. Well, Um, you you basically showed yourself self-compassion, which in turn you were able to show compassion for these other women who originally had rejected you, who, who you ended up at this, uh, uh, serendipitously or not, I think it was set up for you to have them be at that retreat um, so that you could actually uh, have this happen. Now, you have nine practices that you talk about in the book for cultivating compassion. Um, and I'm going to go into a few of them. Uh, we won't have mm-hmm. time to get into every one of them. But you have something called the heart's intention practice. And you state that this yeah. will help us direct our lives in ways that matters most. Um, mm-hmm. Can you explain a little bit? I know in each one of your chapters where or these sections where you're actually referring to these practices at the end, um, there's a place where you ask people to do journal writing. Um, you reiterate the key points. You tell stories of other people. I mean, this book is loaded with all kinds of ways for people to learn this. But let's talk about the heart's intention practice. Uh, What is it? How would we use it? Where would we use it? Um, And and how do we use it? Okay, the heart's intention practice really helps us um, to um, clarify where we are and how we want to find our ground in our life and how we want to proceed in our life. Um, Because so often we are confused. And um, often we uh, confuse intentions, hearts, intentions with goals. We think, oh, I'm happy if I have um, a partner, a different partner maybe. I'm happy when I have a car. I'm happy if I live in a different part of the country. So we are placing our uh, happiness or the the cure for our unhappiness outside of ourselves. 
and uh, coming to a heart's intention practice, we are finding um, uh, the basis for our happiness inside. Uh, like, oh, I want to have more of a sense of meaning. I want to have a sense of uh, peace of heart. I want to have... Um, um, uh, I want to have uh, um, a good relationship with myself. I want to be peaceful in my relationship with others. So I am um, I am grounding myself in in myself in my heart's intention, and then gold can come from that. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe, uh, and so. It's so you're important. saying that you're saying to our listeners that this self, this, this basically they would use this to kind of find themselves, um, listen deeply, right? Um, yeah. And and that this, you know, this is one way to use that practice, this heart's intention practice. Now you also have one called the self compassion meditation. Um, speak with our listeners as to how you would recommend using this particular practice, because you've got nine of these in the book, but I picked out a few that I thought were important. And one of those is the self-compassion meditation. Right. So um, the, the example I'm bringing here with the self-compassion practice is a woman called Carmen who has breast cancer or has survived breast cancer, and I think has a new uh, recurrence, and feels very alienated from herself and from her body. And um, and so in this um, uh, self-compassion practice, I teach her to make friends with herself again. And um, so she's learning to find phrases that are relevant and accessible to her, like um, may I hold um, my vulnerability with uh, tender care? May I uh, hold myself and all my challenges with tenderness? May I hold myself with compassion, especially when I feel wounded? May I extend tenderness towards my my experience right now in my body and life. And with that, uh, Carmen was able to create a sense of uh, peacefulness and a a sense of um, connectedness with herself again, which allowed her then... um, to extend compassion towards her daughter because feeling alienated from herself through her cancer, she also felt alienated from her 16-year-old daughter and was not able to take care of herself. And so as she was extending compassion towards herself and make friends with herself again, she was also able to extend phrases of compassion towards Angelica, her daughter. Yes, and it and was quite healing. That's a great story that that you tell. 
uh, in the book, uh, as as we said, using self compassion, and I and I love the fact that you're using the affirmations and the mantras that are being used to help people reinforce that uh, psychologically, emotionally, mentally. Now, you know, you make a statement about compassionate choice uh, practice that the Dalai yeah. Lama tells us that we may not be able to avoid difficult situations, but we can modify. Mm-hmm the extent right. to which we suffer by how we choose to respond to that situation, which I think is, you know, look, that's, that's always the case. It's not the situation. It's how you respond. Can you explain how we might use this compassionate choice practice um, mm-hmm. and avoid to help us avoid that suffering, that choice we make, because we're making a choice for our own suffering. So the story that I'm using in my book is a young man called Gregory who uh, wants to excel in his life. He wants to go back to graduate school, but he has a big anger problem and has gotten in quite a few bar fights and had to go in front of a judge a few times. And he comes from a family of a lot of trauma and violence. And he knows he won't be able to excel in his life if he doesn't get a handle on his on his anger. And uh, the story is that he gets triggered um, in the situation by, um, I think, a security man and almost gets into a fight with him. So I have him use the compassionate choice practice, which starts noticing our trigger, which is something happened that has an immediate and uncomfortable feeling. And so it's important to notice that. And after that, it's important to notice the sensations in our body. And because when we have been triggered, our body responds instantaneously. We may experience, for example, a tight belly, a constriction around our heart, or flushed face. So as we come to the sensations in our body, we come to the present moment. And the present moment is the only moment where we can change. Then Gregory notices feelings. He doesn't go into them in a big way. He doesn't analyze them. He just notices. And he notices his anger. And then we, we, so though going through those steps, helps us to slow ourselves down. He notices where this comes from, his situation with his father and stepfather. He notices the conclusions he might have um, uh, drawn, like if I don't defend myself, I will be, I'm a loser, you know. So he notices what has fueled him before and he notices this urge to defend himself very quickly. And as he notices those steps, he's able to take a mindful time out. He's able to step aside before he uh, becomes violent again. Uh And he's able to take some breath. He's able maybe to exercise for a little while. He's able to meditate. However much time he has, for a mindful time out. And then he can look at himself with compassionate awareness. He can see himself 
as the challenged human he is. And um, then he can take a wider perspective and see, oh, you know, even though I feel like right now this way, I now feel a little calmer and I can look at myself with compassion and I can see in the bigger scope of things, it's actually not wise to beat up this uh, security guard. Well, it's a great, that is a great way for people to actually use this compassionate choice practice. And that is really about, you know, their choice to avoid the suffering, to avoid the anger, uh, to avoid those frustrations. And this is a, as a super way. And there's a great, for my listeners, you know, Greg's story in the book is, is a good story. Your book is loaded with stories and examples for people to do for practices for journaling. Uh, there's also the summaries of the chapters. So yeah, I think you've done an excellent job here, Rajane, to make this happen. Now you end your book with the reflection on a walk in the Camino in Spain. And I presume that was probably last summer. Um, what did you learn about your life journey from this experience and how has compassion for yourself helped you to heal the wounds and your experience with this, uh, this walk in the Camino? I think many of our listeners are going to be familiar with the long walk that you have to take. Um, I think if you do the whole thing, isn't it close to like 400 miles or something like that? Yeah, I did 10 days. Okay. Of the Camino, yes. Uh, my first, I might, I have to say that taking pilgrimages is a really important way for me, and I think for many other people, to get out of our usual environment and step aside and really turn our gaze around and look at our lives. So I made this Camino with my husband, my daughter. Uh, I walked uh, with my husband's a brother who's a priest and with my cousin from uh, Switzerland. And um, walking, I think a lot of our old stuff comes up again. And for me it did. Uh, some about the Catholic Church, I kind of consider myself a bit as a wounded Catholic, uh, came up to my husband's brother, the priest. Uh, my cousin from Germany, some, uh, you know, old memories and stuff around my family came up. And uh, just to walk with that in a compassionate way and let those memories and feelings arise and be there and then let them pass through in a gentle way, in a, in a compassionate and tender way while walking was really helpful for me. It was uh, just an amazing experience and I can um, recommend it to to everybody who would like to, uh, you know, find a new spirit in their life, new mm-hmm. meaning and a way of making friends with themselves. Yeah, it's a great way to heal your soul. It's a great way to take a deeper look it's also an awesome opportunity, as you talk about in this book, to show yourself some self-compassion. Um, and obviously, being with a group of friends and family, it's a time to bond and create community. Um, so everybody that I've talked to that's done the Camino Walk, it has been a right. truly amazing spiritual experience. 
I have not experienced it myself, but I will one day. And I really appreciate that story. So for my listeners, uh, we've been on with Rajane Weiniger, and her book is called Heartwork, The Path of Self-Compassion. And for those of you who want to uh, find out more about Rajane and her work, you can just go to her name, and it's R-A-D-H-U-L-E-W-E. I-N-I-N-G-E-R-P-H-D.com. There you will find a beautiful picture of Rajane, her professional services, her seminar, event calendars, uh, booking appointment, and so on. Uh, but Rajane, it's been a pleasure having you on Inside Personal Growth, speaking with us about your new Shambhala book, uh, Heartwork, The Path of Self-Compassion, Nine Simple Practices, or joyful, wholehearted life. Uh, anything that you want to say to our listeners as a parting words? Well, um, maybe I can only say, uh, don't lose time. Go on your own journey and uh, know that you can uh, find your heart's intention and that you can make fun with yourself now and that you can make uh your world, um, a better place. Beautiful parting words and uh, namaste to you. And thank you for being on our show. Namaste and thank you so much to you, Christ.